Who wants to preach it? Now go down and listen. You know, one of the greatest joys in life is to be able to see literally the hand of God in your life. And you know it's God because nothing else and nobody else can account for it. It's a joy to know that God is alive and God is real and his word is absolutely true. Now I've added, and in your outline there's, there's, a, there's a word in the title that is not in the bulletin, but I've added the word divine. The blessing of divine discipline. The blessing of divine discipline. I'm going to say something I hope I will not be misunderstood. If your father did not properly discipline you, you really have been cheated. I don't, I'm not reflecting on fathers. Now, fathers do what they know to do, or sometimes they don't know to do, to do things. So I'm not reflecting on fathers. I'm reflecting on the discipline, which, is, which, if absent from your life, leaves a gaping hole in your future. Would you agree with that? How many of you enjoyed the trials and hardships of your life this past week? You enjoyed them. I've got honest people here. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Because discipline is not a joyful experience in and of itself. It is the outcome of the discipline. It is the fruit of the discipline that brings great joy ultimately. Perspective on the events of your life is tremendously important. And the perspective you and I need is the perspective we get from God and his word. So I've entitled this The Blessing of Divine Discipline. And I've got to deal with word, a, word, a little word study, English and Greek, for just a moment. Because the translators of King James and some other translators have translated this Greek word, chastening. And when you think of chastening, chastening always involves what? It involves punishment for wrongdoing. It involves punishment for wrongdoing. All right? Let me ask you a question. Why did Job, Job suffer? If you know anything about Job, now if you don't, just listen in on the conversation. Job is known for his happy-go-lucky, never having any trouble life. Now, he, he is the, known as the man who has probably the greatest trial that anybody's ever had that is possible to have. Now the question is, why did Job endure this? Of course, God got mad at him because he was doing a lot of bad things, correct? Absolutely the opposite. He was a man who feared God, turned away from evil. He was a man who was upright, and God said this. God said, this is my servant Job. He's a man who fears God. He turns away from evil. He's upright. He is a just and a righteous. God said that about him. Now, the question is this. I've got a question for you. Why in the world, then, did God let him go through all of that if he was such a good man? Why? I've got the answer for that. If you can tell me, I'll give you a free homecoming dinner. Why did God allow the suffering in the life of this righteous? In fact, God used the word blameless. God said this about Job. Job was so upright that when his children were celebrating the birth, their, their birthdays, after the birthdays, he went and held sacrifices for each one of his children, lest they had somehow offended God in their celebration. That's how careful he was to make sure that his family, he and his family were right with God. So you have this crazy question. It is a, it's, a, it's a nutty, crazy question. Why does God allow good people to suffer bad things? Now, you better put the word bad in quotes because God never 
lets bad things happen to you if you're one of his children. He lets hard, difficult things happen to you, but not bad things. How many of you fathers want to do bad things to your children? Anybody here have children that did not need to be corrected? And so every time you corrected them, you wanted to destroy their lives, correct? No, you wanted to save and preserve their lives, correct? Is that right? All right. So we have the blessing of divine discipline. Notice the, the follow me along in the outline now. Discipline is the training, is training that corrects. It does correction. It molds or perfects the mental faculties or moral character of a person. That's what discipline is designed to do. I had disciplines in my life that my parents had nothing to do with. I grew up at the end of the Depression. When my father had a nickel for an ice cream cone, that was a very special day. Very special day. One time I had cardboard in the bottom of my shoes to keep my feet from coming out the bottom. We didn't have money. It was rough. They had to put a mortgage on the farm. And because of that, as a child and as a teenager, I literally, when I went off to college, I did not know how to play. It was 24-7 work. Get up in the morning, go out and feed the cattle, milk the cow, come in, get cleaned up, go to school, come back, change your clothes, go out and feed the, feed the cattle, milk the cow, come on in, go to bed. Seven days a week. No relief from it. Go out into the fields, plow and pick up rocks and pull weeds and get the crops in, bale the hay, clean the manure out of the barn. 24-7. We didn't have time to play because the, the economics imposed a discipline on my life. It wasn't my mom and dad that did that. It was the economy in which we lived. It was that, or starve, not pay the mortgage, lose the farm. We didn't have a choice. Mom and Dad didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. And of course, you notice how it's destroyed my life. I will suggest that it does provide a powerful work ethic in your life. And it provides, it provides a different relationship to adversities. If it didn't rain, the crops weren't so much, the money didn't come in, we, we were financially even tighter than if it did rain, and sometimes it rained too much. So discipline. Discipline. As I look back, I thank God for that. When I went off to college, I ran circles around a lot. I had a, I had a roommate. I had a roommate who came out of a wealthy family. His mom had a Cadillac, his dad had a Cadillac, and he had an Oldsmobile. And he was a freshman. He literally did not hold, know how to, ha how to hold onto a broom handle. They had servants in his house. He knew nothing. He had the life of Riley. He had the American dream. And I had the opposite. I was the guy that had it hard. Every bill was paid. No problem with his parents and their financial resources. And I'm not condemning the boy. He was born into that family. He didn't choose that. 
That was his, but, but, but the discipline was totally wrong, absent, gone from his life. He didn't know how to handle hardship. He never had it, never experienced it. So you and I have gone through a week and we've gone through struggles at work and at home and in the neighborhood and at the store. Things have gone south on us. We call that's a saying here. That means they've turned around the wrong way. We've had to put up with people and things. Sometimes machinery and technology is a lot more hard to put up with than people. My computer has a mind of its own. It does things I never tell it to do. My cell phone does too. So we've got all these things going on in our lives and we become focused on hardship and and we don't understand why did Job need suffering because Job was a sinner and didn't know God well enough. And you and I are sinners and we don't know God well enough. You're not too enthusiastic about that one. So Discipline is training that corrects, molds, perfects the mental faculties and moral character. The Greek concept is the Greek word paideia. It means the whole training and education of children, teaching, training, instruction, discipline, and guidance. All of these things are involved in good discipline. A father that just spanks his, spanks his children hasn't done but a very small part of discipline. The whole training, teaching, there's teaching, instruction, there's guidance, there's discipline. I wondered when I, when I grew up on the farm, I had work. I, 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 my, I, my dad didn't have to teach me a work ethic. It was just there. It was work or die. So I was, I was a city boy. I was in the ministry living in town. What am I going to do with my children? I don't have a farm. I don't have cows to milk. I don't have cattle to feed. I don't, I don't have fields to plow. I don't, I don't have crops to reap. What am I going to do with my children so they'll get a work ethic? That to me as a parent was, was, a, was a real problem. How am I going to teach my children responsibility? How do I do this in this environment? I made a decision early on. My children thought I was a slave driver. My policy was if the children can do it, mom and dad are not going to do it. Whether it's yard work, housework, they're going to clean their rooms, they're going to clean up all, they're going to have a tidy room every day. They're... I decided that's the only way I could teach them to work. Now, what does God have to do with us in our lives? Spiritually, we are not born with a work ethic spiritually. We're not born with an ethic that drives us to take set aside time for devotions with God to, 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 to read the word and to pray. That's a discipline, yes or no? That's a discipline of life. Attending church is a discipline. It is, it really is. If God allows, you ought to be here Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night. Every time the doors are open, you ought to be here. That's a discipline you ought to impose on your life. It'll build your life and it'll build the lives of all other believers in our church. But that's a discipline that most believers are not willing to assume. It is a discipline. It's not easy. It's not any easier than putting on your dirty pants and your smelly shoes and going out and cleaning the barn and feeding the animals and, 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 then, and then coming back and cleaning up and then going about the rest of it. it, it 
You see, spiritually there's a discipline. Without that discipline, how are we going to go anywhere in our knowledge of God? Am I on target? No. Am I the only one who lives at this address? I live at this address. I live at this address. I really do. So, when we come to Hebrews, and we're going to look at the fifth verse, but then we're going to put it in its context. Now, part of the the, the scripture we read this morning was, was the tremendous blessing and benefit of being God's people. And, and that fit right into a, a tremendous discipline that was taking place in the background that if, if you don't read Isaiah carefully, you, you don't put that together. You don't, you don't put that text in the context of discipline. But it's in the context of one of the most powerful disciplines God ever did to his people. He sent them into captivity, wiped out their cities. They had a tremendous slaughter of their own loved ones. And, they were, and, and, and Babylon came in and, and just leveled, leveled the country. Destroy Jerusalem and the temple. That was discipline, I think. And God says, look, you're my children. And if you think that this can stop me from blessing you, you've got another thing coming. I'm going to take this thing, turn it upside down on its head, and you are going to be blessed. That's what he said. That's what that text was all about. The problem is a lot of us know the discipline, but we don't realize the blessing that comes out of this thing. And there's great blessing that comes out of it. So the, the key text would be Hebrews 12.5, and take a look, please, in your notes. Hebrews 12.5. You have forgotten the exhortation. Let's read the New American Standard there. The, the, you have forgotten, and the idea is you have just completely forgotten. You didn't just forget it. it it's, it's no longer in your mind. This has escaped your notice at this point in time. Now, what was happening to the people in the book of Hebrews was that they were experiencing great trial. They were under persecution. Some of them were being put in prison. Some were being killed. Some, some had, had lost their property. Their property had been confiscated by, by the IRS. And, and the, 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 a lot of things were going on. In the, these were rough days for these people. And he has just told them about all the heroes of faith in chapter 11. Abraham, Moses, David, and all these great, great, great heroes of faith in chapter 11. He's just talked about that. And these people are just all caught up because in their own personal circumstances, they're going through extremely difficult days. So you have forgotten completely the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son. Now let's stop there for just a moment. What does the word son mean? You can put daughter in there. What does that mean? Is there a more personal term that God could use? My son? He's not talking to foreigners, somebody else's family. He's not talking here to unsaved, unregenerated people. He's talking to children of God who have found Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And they are not only sons of God, they are heirs of God. Romans 8, they are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You need to be secure in your sonship, your daughtership. You need to be secure in that personally. Are you listening to me? 
Otherwise, the trials of life overwhelm us in our relationship with God. We say, why God? You ought to say, what God do you want to accomplish? My son, do not regard lightly. Do not underestimate the importance. Ah, and that's what that word despise means. Don't regard lightly. Don't underestimate the importance of the discipline of the Lord. Do not faint. Do not be weary when you are reproved by him. And we'll look at that word in just a moment. Those whom the Lord is mad at. Are you reading the text? Fix your eyes on that text. Those whom the Lord what? Loves. Doesn't say those whom the Lord is upset with. You see, the first question we begin to ask when, when hardship comes our way is, what did I do wrong? Because we assume that the only way that reason God would discipline us is, is because he's mad at us for doing something wrong. Correct? Am I right in that? That's where our mind just travels immediately, especially if it's a huge issue in life. My son has cancer. Leukemia. Lord, what did he do wrong? What did I do wrong? That's not where we go with that. My brother is dying with pancreatic cancer. What did he do wrong? The answer is probably nothing. God has purposes that can only be fulfilled in ways that we don't approve. Okay? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Okay. When you, and so don't faint, don't be weary when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now the word discipline again is the whole training. The word reprove means showing someone that, that he has done something wrong and summoning him to repent, bring to light, expose, convince, convict. In the case of setting right, reprove or correct. Now... This, this idea of reproof can, can have to do with con, con, con being convicted that God is right in, what's he, in right in what he's doing in our life. Not necessarily that we are wrong. Job was right. No, there's a note under there. It is not easy at times for God to convince us that he is right and we are wrong. Will you underline that and will you say amen to that? It is not easy at times for God to convince us that he is right and we are wrong. Also, this convicting can be concerning that which is true and right. We need conviction concerning what's wrong and concerning what's right. Now, let me, let me review something here. And I'm eating up a lot of time, but we'll, we'll make it just down to the, first, the end of the first part here. You and I, I've talked to you many times about the fear of God. The fear of God. And the fear of God is a two-edged sword. It's a coin with two different sides to it. Listen carefully to me. Look this way, if you will, and listen carefully. Let me give you the definition for the fear of God. The fear of God is the absolute moral certainty 
That seems to me like a conviction. How would you describe an absolute moral certainty? Okay? The absolute moral certainty that without fail, never will be otherwise, no exception to the rule. Without fail, God will ultimately judge and destroy everything that is wrong. Because of who God is and what God is, God can do no less than that, or he will no longer be God. The absolute moral certainty, without fail, God will ultimately judge and destroy everything that is wrong. You say, oh, the wicked people are getting away with everything in our country today. They're doing this and they're doing that, and what are we going to do about it? Well, I want to tell you something. I live today with real joy looking at all of this nonsense and I say God without fail will ultimately judge and destroy all of this. Without fail. The other side of that coin, the fear of God is the absolute moral certainty that without fail God will ultimately reward and establish everything that is right. Now, if you've got that figured out in your heart and mind, your life will be different. Your choices will be different. Your attitudes will be different. And your joy will be full regardless of the disciplines and circumstances. We must be convinced beyond all doubt of that which is eternally true. You're not to faint, become weary, exhausted, give out, lose heart, faint, get discouraged. Now the true nature of discipline is not punishment. Now this is an interesting concept. You remember I gave you the illustration about the guy that got drunk? And uh, he, he went into the bar and he got to drinking and he got drunk and he got in a fight. He got in a fight. And somebody knocked out his eye. And then he repented, he got saved, he got right with God. But he was a one-eyed Christian the rest of his life. Sin leaves its mark on our lives. But after we're saved, it's no longer a punishment. It becomes a reminder. <laughs> it becomes a, a reminder of God's work in our lives. I want to explain this again. If you are here today and you've never received Christ, I want to make this very, very clear. One of the most amazing, wonderful words in the New Testament is the word propitiation. Propitiation. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means complete, total payment. It means a payment that completely satisfies all of the demands of the one to whom it's due. 
If I owe you 1,000 United States dollars and I pay you in legal United States currency, that ought to satisfy your demand completely if the debt is $1,000 U.S. legal currency, correct? Now, if I bring you New Guinea seashells, you're not going to be quite so happy. But if I bring you the real thing, and by the way, the real thing is hard to find. I, I kind of joke with the, with, the, with the cashiers sometimes. I say, well, will you accept a Federal Reserve note in payment? If you look at all your money, it, it's, it's not U.S. dollars, it's Federal Reserve note. And you can make of that what you want to. But the point of the matter is, when Jesus Christ died for our sins... There was not one sin, past, present, or future. Remember now, when Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago, they were all future. Yes or no? They were all future. They weren't past or present or future. They were all future then. We hadn't been born yet. The debt was paid before we were born. From the moment of conception to the moment of our exit from this life, every and this is sins not known by us. We, I don't think, we are clueless about half the sins in our lives. So, he died for all of the sins known to God. From the beginning to the end. Not only did he die for all of them, but he paid the full payment for all of them. To God's complete and total satisfaction. So much so that the the Bible says we were crucified with Christ. That is, he not only dealt with the sins, he took us to death in Jesus Christ on the cross to get rid of everything he couldn't accept. That's how thoroughly God did this. So now, when by faith we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior and this discipline comes into our lives, there's no double jeopardy here. We're not being punished for sins for which Jesus Christ died. We may be being corrected. There's sometimes a discipline imposed for correction, but not for punishment. Never, never punishment. So, so many people, so many Christians get the idea that I, I've, I've been going through this struggle. God must be punishing me for something. Not biblically, that can't happen. But whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's about half of us, right? You awake? I think that's all of us. I think that's all of us. So, the true nature of discipline is correcting. Correcting wrong conduct and wrong direction, wrong character. And it's character development. I tell people, if you're in business, there are three things you want to look for in an employee. A good employee has three characteristics. Number one. A good employee has the capacity to do the job. He is competent. If he's not competent, he won't be a good employee. Number two, he's reliable. 
I don't care how competent a man is, if he doesn't show up for work, he's no good to you. Yes? He's reliable. Reliability. And number three, he has integrity. Doesn't matter how competent he is or how much he shows up, if half the money in the till is missing, that's not good for your business. Got to be integrity. Those three things. How many of you, are you still awake? I'm watching the clock up there. How many of you still awake? Coffee time, coffee time. How many of you were born with all of those three things in place? You don't have any of you don't have you don't have one of those three things. You don't have any of those three things apart from discipline in your life. I'll promise you. How did you learn to do something? They made you do it and do it. Give me the R word. You had to do it. You had to do it right. That produces competence. How does God train us in His service and in in, in our in our Christian life? He trains us by discipline. He wants us to do what we do. He wants us to do it right for his glory and praise. How do you get this business of self-control? I'll repeat myself. I think it's good for me to repeat myself in my old age. At least I know I'm repeating myself, repeating myself. Did I repeat myself? So so this business of self-control, people say to me, Pastor, what's the most... What's the most difficult thing you face in your ministry? You know how to tell them, don't you? You remember what I've said? I tell them the most difficult thing I have in the ministry is keeping myself under control. And I want to promise you that's your biggest problem too. Come on. It's confession time. Self-control is the byproduct of external control. Hear me. My patriotic father, he applied the stripes, I saw the stars. (laughs) And he did it so effectively, I can only remember two spankings, maybe three. No more was ever necessary. He didn't beat on me, he didn't slap me all around. There's a certain place in a child's anatomy that is custom designed for this. And he had, he had, he had, uh, he had an instrument now, this is, we're, we're in this modern... Anybody here know what a razor strop is? Half dozen, maybe. I want to tell you something. It didn't wound me. I want to tell you, it, it sent me to heaven and back in pain. It didn't hurt me. But, oh boy, did it... Did it you talk about a sting? woo You never forgot. That was an unforgettable experience. How many of you need experiences like that? Because you've got things in your life you can't get straightened out and maybe God needs to just sting a little bit and let's not go there. Let's not go there. But you see, your life will be totally governed as a believer. Now hear me as a Christian. Your life will be totally governed by circumstances if you don't get self-control in place. And self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Discipline. Tremendously important. How many of you know that people that run these corporations work 40 hours a week and they get overtime for anything that they do overtime? How many of you know the president of the, the CEO of General Motors works 40 hours a week? 
She works probably 80 hours a week. And the only way she's able to do what she does is because her life is not governed by circumstances. If the stock market goes down, she's at work. If the stock market goes up, she's at work. If the company is falling apart, she's at work. If there's a division that, that, whose management is, is simply horrible, she's at work. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. She is not a good CEO if she shows up on, on, on when the weather's nice and she doesn't show up when the weather's not nice. But that takes self-control. Your walk with God, is it governed by circumstances? You've got joy today, you've got no joy tomorrow because, because the circumstances are running your life. Discipline. Discipline. And holiness, integrity. Holiness is integrity. It's not something where you put on this robe and, and you buy a halo at, at the bookstore and hope that it doesn't do this instead of this. You know, uh, uh, holiness is not a halo. Holiness is personal integrity. And it is hard to have pers- financial integrity, physical and biological integrity, social integrity, just moral integrity, Every area of life, holiness is integrity. You don't get it without discipline. It doesn't come the easy way. So he said here, My son, do not underestimate the importance of the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when you're reproved by him. Those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So this is the introduction. We're going to go into what was happening in the lives of these believers. We're going to go into the context in which it was happening. The promises we get out of the Old Testament, the New Testament. We need to praise God heads up we need to praise God that he does not always put up with our stupidity and our laziness and our foolishness and our lack of attention to his word and his ways he loves us And he wants to bring us into a walk with himself that will be utterly fruitful and joyful and victorious. And may I suggest to you, if you know yourself and I know myself, there is no easy way for God to do that. And all God's people said, yes. Come lead us in a song. When we walk with the Lord, trust and obey. Trust means you have confidence in God. You're not, you're not questioning God at every turn of the way. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Listen, if you're going to profit from discipline, you have to trust God in your life, okay? It takes a real confidence and trust in the Lord.